Welcome to the Grit to Greatness podcast. Thanks for tuning in and making your choice to win. This is the show where we not only motivate and inspire, we give you tactical strategies to implement on your way to greatness. And now, here's your host, Chuck Farmer. Welcome, Grit to Greatness listeners. I always say that I'm excited about the podcast that we're recording, and I'm always being honest with you. But I'm telling you, today I've got a little bit of extra energy. I can't wait for what's going to be the first of, I'm sure, a series, because I really believe this is something that's exciting, it's needed, and we've got a tremendous guest to share with us today. He's a husband and father down here in Texas. He's a follower of Christ. He's a cardiac anesthesiologist, which that right there tells you he's smart. Um, but after that, he also uh, studies and debates the integration of science and his faith. Um, he's a certified apologist. And almost as important as all that, he's a new friend down here in uh, Texas. So it's great to have you with us today, LD. Thanks, Chuck. Uh, I- I've enjoyed getting to know you and your enthusiasm for the work of uh, the kingdom. Uh, and so appreciate you having me on. I really appreciate that. Uh, LD and his wife uh, are the Herzogs, and they've been with the uh, our church there that we've got to know them and being able to go to their beautiful house and just excited to have him with us today. Like I said, what he's going to share with us today, stay with us. It may seem deep at some points, uh, but he's going to present it in a way where you can understand it. But it's absolutely a very vital, I believe, and exciting uh, new or not new, but a way that we can look at the Bible and science. And I really love this stuff because a lot of people uh, debate this, and so he has looked into this. So if you don't mind, give us kind of a summary, as you said earlier, about how you've uh, grown up and you're, you're studying this uh, division or separation that people think there is between Christianity and science. Right. So certainly my uh, scientific education in the past um, has uh, allowed me to explore um, some incredible discoveries that, you know, humanity's made about life and about nature uh, on this planet uh, over the years and, and extraordinarily, uh, dis- extraordinary discoveries in the recent past. And, you know, when I was being educated, I think a lot of times my um, my faith, uh, being brought up in the Christian faith and, and having faith, um, Science sometimes posed a little bit of a controversy in my mind, not not a stumbling block, but a a subject controversy where I felt like, well, how does this work? Because certainly science, secular science is presented in a way that um, sort of leaves God out, to be quite honest. Um, And so, you know, as I studied uh, not only in my medical training, but in the human body, the engineering that occurs in the human body and the design, the human body and the physiology that occurs, but also, you know, the, the extraordinary uh, evidence for, um, you know, potentially God's interaction with, with his, his creation. And, and so that conflict between science and Faith, certainly I found to be interesting as I investigated it, but as I did so, it became even more controversial to me. Um, And and I explored using a wide variety of resources. I got so many books on my shelf, it's ridiculous, but (laughs) also took uh, courses with 
a variety of apologetics, apologia, apo let's touch on that to start with. Apologetics now has become this term that means defending the faith, primarily uh, the Christian faith. Uh, <clears throat> comes from, apologia is a, is a Greek word used in scripture. Um, for example, one of my favorites, First Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer. And the Greek word there is apologia or defense to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So apologetics, um, and particularly science apologetics, has become a passion of mine. That's awesome. Um, and it's just so important because so many people, I mean, I just recently I've been talking to Christians, some newer, some been married Christians their whole lives, talking about how they don't know how to share the faith. And they, you know, don't know how to share the Bible and all that it says and whether or not it's true. And so I just really love the idea that you shared about Paul saying, be prepared to give an answer. And right. a lot of the, the things you're going to share with us today are going to really show us that at, on the one hand, it's about a relationship. But on the other hand, at the very deepest level, God truly created the heavens and the earth and created each of us. So I can't wait. So I think in the future, we're going to do an episode of this. Where we talk specifically about the human body and how it's designed by God. So that'll be exciting. But today you're going to talk specifically about the perception of this division between Christianity and science. And you've got three different perspectives you're going to share with us. Right. And, and I'm just going to reference one more scripture, if I could, Chuck. Um, okay. Romans uh, 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that what? So that people are without excuse. And so I truly think, you know, God's revelation in nature, his creation, really, uh, when looked at honestly, uh, provide evidence of, of a creator, and therefore we are without excuse. So um, I think that's a sort of a good springboard into this idea that um, Christians do look at this concept differently. How does science integrate with their faith? Um, and over the years, you know, probably in the past, I would say, I mean, in the past, th this question really wasn't debated. I think that there was more grace in the interpretation of scripture in St. Augustine's time, for example. Um, but Christians recently have decided in large part because of the influence of Darwin, right? Darwin has put on our secular culture, a perspective that says, God isn't needed, right? Natural processes lead to the life that we see on earth. Um, and therefore, a creative force um, is not necessary. And, and many atheists, of course, find uh, intellectual satisfaction in that, right? Because they feel like they can explain it. Um, I think it's lacking. And I think the science has shown that. Now, that's not to say that I don't believe in evolution per se, in the sense that Evolution means change over time, right? So just like medicine has evolved, right? But you have to think about what you mean by the term evolution. Because most of the time, in the secular perspective, it means sort of this idea that life originated in some warm little pond, as Darwin said, um, and then evolved over time into advanced life forms and subsequently to me and you. So that's how most people interpret evolution. 
and I think the evidence for that, and I think there's a lot of National Association of Science members that are now bringing into question this neo-Darwinian perspective. So, but within that, that sort of paradox, Christians have sort of decided um, sometimes fervently how they believe that science uh, and, and faith should come together. And I do want to make reference to one one more thing here, Chuck, if I could. And that is, you know, we as Christians, you mentioned this, we we don't know how to engage sometimes on this topic. And that's unfortunate because we as Christians need to be able to equip ourselves for kingdom purposes, but also our kids. The Barna Group did a study not long ago where it came to the conclusion that 85% of Christian students that went out into advanced academia had a quote faith crisis at some point during their years in college and then they asked the question as to why that was the case and 60 percent of christians disconnected with their faith either permanently or or for an extended period of time and the third most common reason out of 10 reasons that that christian students separated or disconnected from their faith was number three, churches come across as antagonistic to science. So again, we're not equipping ourselves to teach our students to lay a foundation for when these questions come up when they're in college, how to intellectually honestly answer that and keep their faith. So I think that's extraordinarily important. So again, as you mentioned, there's sort of three groups that have surfaced in the last 50 years or so. Before you get into that real quick, let yeah. me kind of ask you on that. Do you think that, I think to some degree, on the one hand, most people or many people don't, they kind of shy away from it. One, because there's not a lot of teaching and, and studying. And so they don't understand it. And so we tend to shy away from things we don't understand. And then we think it's going to be really, really deep to try to understand it. And so we kind of shy away from it. And right. and we're not pastors aren't preaching on it. And so we just don't get it in, in, in any dosage. And so most people are so ignorant of the details that they don't know what to say. And which is why I'd be honest to some degree why I'm so excited about this episode of this podcast. Right. And I agree 100 percent. And thankfully, there there is movement, although glacial <laughs> in the direction of, uh, you know, many big churches, Christian churches now are taking on apologetics ministers. And so that's their role, especially at the uh, for their kids, but also for the adults to equip them to engage on some of these topics so that we can be seen, um, so that we can be strengthened by that information in our own faith. But we could also we can also be, um, uh, you know, I think do a kingdom work. I, I love this quote, and I'm gonna just because uh, I think it's so applicable here. You, everybody knows William Lane Craig, or a lot of people do in the apologetics community. He's he's an extraordinary apologist, and he said this about Christians. He said in apologetics, he said if Christians could be trained to provide solid evidence for what they believe and good answers to unbelievers questions and objections, then the perception of Christians would slowly change. Christians would be seen as thoughtful people to be taken seriously rather than emotional fanatics or buffoons. <laughs> the gospel would be a real alternative for people to embrace. 
So hundred percent. And, you know, thankfully more and more people are moving in the direction of let's engage on this topic. Chuck Colson said, you know, we have to be Christians that not remembering the quote perfectly, but that, that, um, release Christianity from its quote, sanctuary stronghold. We have to sort of translate the word of God to the world. And we have to, in doing so, we have to be uh, able to speak to scientists in the language of science. And so I think it's a, it's a movement that's taking place and and I'm enthusiastic like you to see that it's happening. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I think the important thing is for us as Christians to look at how we are viewed by the world, quote unquote, and how they see us, you know, on a, for example, on a much simpler plateau, you know, my wife, Ruthie and I both worked for Cracker Barrel restaurants for many years and quite literally in the restaurants, as you talk to the servers and the hosts, the ones that dealt with the public the most, they quite literally were excited when Hell's Angels would come in to eat and did not like working on Sundays when the Christians came in. Um, <laughs> they were they were treated better and tipped much better by the Hell's Angels than Christians on Sunday. So we wow. need to be careful of how we as Christians are viewed. And one of the yeah. ways that we can be better viewed is to educate ourselves on these topics and be better able to share it, even with simply a, somebody who's asking questions that wants to know the Lord, we can share details about how the Bible and science match up. And for certain people like Josh McDowell and others that come to the Lord, the Lord because of science, that could really be what shows them the way. Exactly. And, and, and to emphasize that point, Chuck, I think that a lot of times Christians, when we evangelize, we're called to spread the kingdom message, right? The right. gospel message. But sometimes, you know, we're pretty good at understanding how, Scripture, the Word of God, has an influence and has influenced our spiritual lives. But when it comes to someone who is still kicking the tires and is not sure how to how to perceive this this idea that this is the Word of God, this is this is where truth lies in this this revelation from God in these words. You can't start with here's what the Bible says. You got to start like Paul said, "I'm all things to all people, so that some may be saved." Right. So we have to go to where they are. That's right. um, and I think, so therefore, for those people, like you mentioned, Josh McDowell, there's so much power in science that can bring people to the idea that, you know what? There's no question that there's a super, Einstein, I mean, he wasn't a, he wasn't a theist by any means, but he certainly felt that there was something else out there organizing the universe. And once you get him there, once you get him to the idea that maybe there's a creator, then it's easy for them to then go, okay, well, that's intellectually honest, and, and I feel comfortable with that. Now I can explore religion or religious perspectives and opening the Bible. As you know, there's power in the word. Just get them there, and it can happen. Hey, man, that's awesome, man. Well, we could go on all day about this. Well, why don't you get started with us on the first main perspective? Yeah, so three main perspectives are, are sort of present in our contemporary time. Um, there's a group called, and they didn't choose this, uh, this designation (laughs) to be honest, they're, they're called young earth creationists. Right. So, um, and before I go into that, Chuck, I want to just say that I think that sometimes we create such divisions amongst ourselves. God could have done it 
and his interaction with his his creation could be uh, in any of these ways. We just need to, in my opinion, sort of find a way that we can use this information to bring people to the kingdom. In Isaiah 55, he says, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, right? So, you know, really, we may, may not be able to fully understand sort of how God approached his interaction with his creation. Um, so, sorry, went off on a tangent there. <laughs> Young Earth Creationism, um, the organization represented there uh, or represents that view is called Answers in Genesis. Its founder is Ken Ham. You may know it uh, very much supported by uh, the business entity and the owner of Hobby Lobby. Um, they have uh, been a part of uh, developing uh, the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. They've been a part of the Ark Experience. And I forgive me, I don't know, that's somewhere in the southeast. Kentucky. I haven't been there. Where'd you say, Kentucky. Chuck? In Kentucky. Kentucky. Okay. Yeah. So their perspective is what I would define as sort of biblicism. And that is everything you see, particularly with regards to science, has to be filtered through their interpretation of scripture. Okay. So what do I mean by that? Just to give you an example. Well, the reason they're called young earth creationism is because they interpret the first six days of creation in the Genesis creation account as six 24 hour days. Okay. And so it, with that interpretation, Certainly, much of the uh, science seems to indicate that our universe and our Earth is much more ancient than what could be described as the six days of creation. And then using only the genealogies, that is from Adam to Christ to the current day, that roughly there was an archbishop, Usher was his name, and I forget the year, but based on his calculations, and this was after Dar Darwinism came out, and this was sort of a of a defense to it in some ways, or just contemporary science, to be honest. Um, he calculated that the creation of the Earth and the universe was approximately 6,006 years ago. Now, I forget the exact date. They have an exact date. Young Earth creationists fall somewhere between six and 10,000 years ago that all creation occurred. And that's in large part, again, young Earth, right? So it's based on their interpretation of the six 24-hour days of creation plus the genealogies in Scripture. I love that. So for those of you that are relatively new to this type of thinking, you know, the first thought obviously is going to be evolution. Is evolution right or is it wrong? Is the Big Bang right or is it wrong? As you get into that, one of the next questions that is open for debate a lot is how old is the Earth? And so that's where LD is coming from on these perspectives here and partially about the story of the Bible and how old is the earth, you know? And so I'm immediately thinking about when LD, when they tell me they found another dinosaur and it's 242 and a half million years old. And I can't stop myself from laughing um, because I'm like, how do they know it's not 241 million years old? You know, it's just crazy to me. But, you know, so that's part of this debate. So this is great stuff. So number one is the young earth creationists. They believe the earth is between six and 10,000 years old. So these stories of things being found that are millions of years old would be portrayed in a different way. 
and that right. they were that way when God created them. Correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Or that the science is misinterpreting the data. And, and, and so, I mean, to be quite honest, they have attempted, I think it's called the ICR Institute of creation research is I think in part funded by the young earth creationists and they attempt to put together science that really what their studies do is really don't purport any new ways of looking at things, but they sort of punch holes in what they perceive to be errors in interpretation of science. So, you know, like, for example, if you look at the geology of the Grand Canyon and the right. layers that we see in the Grand Canyon, and then there's a tree that punctures, you know, supposedly 10 million years worth of layers, how could that be, right? So they punch holes in the scientific discoveries, but to be quite honest, and again, I respect young earth creationists as much as anybody, anyone who's a believer in Christ, you know, in, in essentials, unity in non-essentials, liberty and in everything else, you know, grace. Um, That's so, right. um, so in essentials, we're all Christ followers. That's all that matters in That's my right. mind. Yeah. Now That's it's right. let's work together to try and figure out how we can influence the world using God's creation to show yes. it. So what so, LD's saying here is that whether which of these three perspectives you adopt, particularly after LD's through explaining them, you know, you're you're initially going to want to pick one of the three, even though you may be brand new to this subject. When LD's through with the three, you're gonna think, hey, I'm this one. You know, yes. and you, hopefully what it will do is pique your interest to where right. you can begin to study more into this topic and you can look up books like josh mcdowell's evidence that demands a verdict and more, the more evidence that demands a verdict but what we also are saying is this is not what determines whether or not you'll go to heaven does it determine whether or not you're a christian that is not that's the priority this here is correct. a follow-up to that correct yeah that's well said chuck thank you for making my talk better uh, <laughs> so what does now this one i'm not sure of yet evolutionary creationism what do yeah. they believe yeah so that's the second organization and and it's and and actually i'm uh these may be listed relatively speaking the last two the as far as support and membership young earth creationism actually holds the largest amount of uh sort of membership in their organization okay. if you will so, so their biggest follower group correct okay. correct so evolutionary creationism, and these guys used to be called, as of five, six years ago, they were called theistic evolutionists, right? I like the fact that they changed their designation to evolutionary creationism because it puts it in the creationism camp, right? Young earth creationism, evolutionary creationism, old earth creationism. We're all believers in God, and we're sort of saying, here's how we interpret how his creation occurred but we believe in a creation, creationism. So I like that they did that. So basically evolutionary creationism is, uh, the largest organization is BioLogos. Uh, and that organization was founded by Francis Collins, a very bright guy. Many of you may have heard of him recently with uh, the Corona outbreak pandemic, because he was the director of the NIH during that time. Uh, he also, uh, did the human genome project. He's a geneticist. And so he mapped the entire human genome. 
Wow. He also wrote a book called The Language of God, where he essentially expresses his perspectives on how evolution fits with God's creation. So briefly, as given by the title, evolutionary creationism, they support the idea of Darwinian evolution. They nonetheless feel that, you know, that process was most of them. There's lots of nuances to way the way these people uh, approach their their interpretation of scripture along with their science. But they they believe that certainly the process was initiated by a creator uh, and may have had some interaction along the way. But essentially, natural processes uh, designate how we see life on Earth. And that includes the Darwinian evolutionary paradigm. So they interpret the Genesis creation account, right? They don't really care about days. The, the Hebrew word there for day is yom. They don't really care about days. They believe the Genesis is the foundation, sort of a poetic, metaphorical analogy, if you will, as to God's creation and the subsequent plan for humanity moving forward, but that one should not in any way look at the Genesis creation account and attempt to decipher scientific fact. So that's their sort of perception about the Genesis creation account. Now, some would criticize that perception because certainly it appears, if you want to interpret it non-metaphorically, non-allegorically, it appears that God intervened at various points in the creative process on those days of creation. So some criticize this uh, perspective for that reason. In addition, it certainly, um, you know, evolution is upheld by many atheists, right? So a believer to hold the evolutionary perspective, some criticize them, frankly, just for that reason, <laughs> because, right. it's, you know, so many atheists hold it as well. Right. So that's evolutionary creationism. Okay. So... The old joke about I believe in the Big Bang Theory as Christians, meaning God said, God said, uh, go forth and or whatever. And bang, there was a Big Bang that, yes, there was a Big Bang, but God made it happen. Would that Correct. be kind of what this group believes? So, um, you know, I, I'm going to just touch a little bit on the Big Bang because I, I don't know why uh, so many Christians seem to be. Um, whether you're young earth evolutionary creationist, old earth creationist, I believe the big bang sort of supports a creator. And here's why I say that. Um, so up until probably the mid 19th century, um, science held, uh, sort of this perspective that the universe was eternal in time and space. So that the universe had always existed. It was always present. Okay. And then Einstein's theory of relativity, and then subsequently, uh, every, everybody knows Hawking's, the guy who was in a wheelchair, recently died. Very smart guy. Uh, Penrose, uh, Hawking's Penrose, and another guy. I apologize for the other scientist's name. I don't remember. <laughs> but they developed these theorems called the singularity theorem. So... Einstein's theory of relativity, then the singularity theorems essentially showed that our universe came into existence 
at a finite moment in the past. So it upset the entire scientific perspective that said our universe was eternal and it has always existed and it's eternal in space and time. So all of a sudden now, and a lot of, a lot of scientists didn't like that. Why? Because it points to a creator because it appears that our universe, not only not only all matter, energy, space, but here's the here's the hard one to wrap your head around. Time. Time did not exist as we know it before our universe came into existence. And it appears the source of this, quote, Big Bang, this creative event, is outside the universe. So the source of the Big Bang or the creation of our universe, which happened at a finite moment in the past, is a source outside the universe, and that supports Genesis 1-1 that says what? In the beginning. See, before that, Genesis was in conflict with science. Science said the universe was eternal. Genesis said in the beginning. Now wow. science has shown there is a beginning. Wow. So you're telling me from what you're saying that, yes, there was a big bang, but yes. something caused it to happen, and that something was an eternal God that has been forever and yeah. is all powerful. And he's the one that made the big bang happen. That's the way I interpret it. Correct. And that, that he is outside our universe. We know that, right? Right. That he, he is outside our universe. And it appears that that's the source of the big bang or the creative force that, um, that allowed our universe to come into existence. And, you know, many scientists at the time didn't like it at all. Um, Fred Hoyle, he's the guy, uh, I think, yeah, Fred Hoyle, actually, he hated it. He made this statement. He said, the Big Bang Theory requires a recent origin of the universe that openly invites the concept of creation. Agreed. <laughs> and he didn't like it at all. And in one of his editorials, he actually flippantly, he said, what was it? Just like a Big Bang? That's the where the term Big Bang came from. Fred oh, Hoyle. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Well, he was actually then, saying that didn't happen. And he's right, the one that kind the time, of coined the phrase. Right. At the time, he was he was opposed to the theory. But since then, it's one of the most exhaustively tested theorems in physics and astrophysics. And pretty much is the I mean, there are still holdouts, but pretty much is the accepted paradigm of how our universe came into existence. Here's another quote from this guy named John Lennox in the same sort of camp with Fred Hoyle. He said, a beginning is thoroughly unacceptable because it implies an ultimate origin of our world and gives the creationist ample justification for their belief. Agreed. Thank you, Sir John Maddox. Wow. This is so great. I'm literally sitting here forgetting that I'm hosting a podcast. I'm sitting here <laughs> listening to you and just really taking it in. And I'm forgetting that I'm actually the host of this podcast. I hope our <laughs> listeners are the same way. This is great stuff. And I'm sure our listeners are thinking like me, man, we got to we got to have a series of these. we got to learn more about it. So this is great, great, great stuff. I hope I'm asking some of the questions you listeners would be asking if you were here today. So move us real quick. Let's talk about the old earth creationism. I think I have a, okay. a kind of an idea of what they believe, but let's see what you've got to say. Yeah. So um, old earth creationism um, essentially holds that the universe and our world is old. So the foundation of that, and this is where the, the conflict between, well, remember I said evolutionary creationists, they don't even consider Genesis to be in any way, uh, you know, scientific. And therefore, this idea of days of creation isn't relevant to their discussions. 
but certainly relevant to the young earth creationists, right, who interpret it to 24-hour days. The old earth creationists say that the, the Hebrew word yom, which is day, um, days one through six, um, can be interpreted. Here's their perspective. So you and I, well, you more than I, but the average American has a vocabulary of about 21,000 words. You probably have a lot more than I do. <laughs> but in written Hebrew, you know how many words there are? 3,600. 3,600. Wow. 3,600 so, versus 21,000. Correct. Even words so, that we can remember. Correct. So in essence, you have to realize, given that limitation, that some words have to have multiple meanings and they have to be taken in context. So this word yom is used other areas in the Bible um, and is used to describe an era or an epic, like in the day of Washington, right? Uh, in the day of the dinosaur. So that's how the old earth creationist would interpret the, the Genesis creation accounts and specifically how they would define day. And so therefore they believe that the Genesis creation account does in fact describe how God created. So they take seriously the Genesis creation account, but they, they interpret this day Yom as being an era or an epic. And therefore within that framework, they look at when and how God created on those various days. So they support the idea and, and there's, we'll talk about this later, but there's some interesting science out there that not only not only chronologically um, do we now know that the Genesis creation account corresponds to what we see in science. That is, you know, based on our atmosphere, based on when plant life occurred, based on when ocean life occurred, based on when humanity existed, all those things. And there's a great quote that I'll read later, but correspond to what we know in science right now. So they, they, they take seriously science and they take seriously Genesis. The way they differentiate them is they believe, and there's this idea of concordism or um, the other term, uh, dual revelation. So God reveals himself, and this is an old concept from back in the 1500s, that God reveals himself through nature, his creation. Right. Um, that's called natural revelation, as well as through scripture, spectral revelation. And if interpreted correctly, there shouldn't be any conflict. So that's the premise of their approach. There shouldn't be any conflict if we're interpreting scripture correctly and if we're interpreting science correctly. Now, two examples. Have we misinterpreted scripture in the past? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So think of Galileo Copernicus. Right. Um, you know, all of a sudden Galileo presents to the Catholic Church in opposition to the way they interpreted scripture, and that is the earth is immovable. Um, and that the, all the other planetary bodies circle the earth, which would kind of make sense. Like if we're the pinnacle of God's creation, right? That's the way he interpreted much of scripture, particularly in Psalms and the Old Testament, where it says the earth is immovable. And so when Galileo Copernicus said, you know what? Uh, we rotate around the sun. That was felt to be heretical, right? I don't think you're going to find too many people around today. There are some. That would say that, no, 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 the earth is still at the center of the universe and the sun rotates around us and every other body rotates around us. Most people accept that. So we've misinterpreted scripture and we've come around to this is the way we should interpret that scripture. In the same way, I gave you the example of the Big Bang. 
Science misinterpreted the universe, right? They said it was eternal in time and space. Then Einstein, Hawking's showed, nope, it had a beginning. So now science has, science previously misinterpreted our universe. And now with advances in science, we've discovered it had a beginning. So two examples. Man, that's awesome. So what I think you're, what I'm seeing is when you talk about an era, specifically of the creation, it's like um, when somebody says, you know, my first workout, I started to get in shape, LD. My first workout, I ran three miles. And on my second workout, I lifted weights. And on my third workout, I did sprints. Those three workouts didn't necessarily happen three days in a row. Correct. There could have been a period of time between each of those workouts. And so what I'm hearing you say is that day one happened. And then at some point in the future, unknown number of days, day two happened mm -hmm. and on and on. Is that basically what you're telling me? Yeah, that's the old earth creation perspective. And again, right. I, I just, I'm presenting these perspectives. I don't, right. I think that, uh, you know, who knows how God did it. But again, I, I don't want to stand firm on any one per se, because I'm humble enough to know, you know, my ways aren't your ways, nor are my thoughts your thoughts. And so yes. um, the, the answer is in there somewhere. I just want us to be able to be comfortable knowing that there's different ways we can look at this and not abandon our faith because we feel like science is in opposition to it. I think we have good standing to say science just supports our perspectives, but we just need to equip ourselves to do that. All right. This is going to give me chills, but you know, one day we're going to be in heaven and we've got this list of questions that we would like to have answers to. Okay. And so we've, we've all got this list of things we want to ask you, you know, like for example, for me, I want to know why in the world at my age, do I grow hair all the places that I don't want hair and I can't grow hair on top of my head. You know, what's the deal with that? Right. But somewhere on that list of questions, my guess is very near the top for you is going to be, Hey, by the way, which one was right? Young earth or old earth? Correct. Is that true? You, you, you want to get well, that answer when you get there? Yeah, for sure. And it reminds me of first Corinthians 13, 12, where it says, for now we see through a glass or mirror dimly. So jumping forward now, I know in part, but then I know shall know fully. So to me, that's what heaven's going to be like, right? Is we're going to have those answers. Right. And right now we can only see dimly through that glass of God's right. creative events. Right. But ultimately we're going to have those answers. And you know, my suspicion is when we get there, we're going to be like, you know what? The glory of God is so wrapped around us. I, we may have a curiosity, but yes. The glory is going to overcome all those questions. That's right. You know, I'm thinking of, uh, stay with me here for a minute, but just a few minutes ago, I was on the phone with a guy from the corporate headquarters of my comp uh, company I work with, Affleck, and I was talking about working with this broker to get him interested in our new policies that we have with dental and vision. And so this trainer at the corporate headquarters that knows all about it was telling me, if you'll do these things, if you'll say these things, you will appear to be knowledgeable in our programs and in our products. You will be a knowledgeable insurance rep for us and you will gain confidence in that person. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what we're doing today is that we want people to gain knowledge and to be more knowledgeable in the word as a whole. And specifically, 
and this apologetics so that they will be more comfortable themselves. Like I want to be more comfortable in the demo and vision plans and how to sell it, but also so that I can share it with others. Same here to be able to yes. share it with people and say, here's what I believe the word says. Right. And, 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 you know, and be humble about it because when I read that beginning verse from, uh, first, first Peter, uh, no, sorry. Yeah. First Peter uh, 3.15, where it says, you know, uh, always be prepared to give an answer yes. uh, to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. What I left out there is do it with humility and respect. Right. That's right. That's right. Amen. This has been tremendous, as I expected. I mean, I'm just literally sitting here forgetting that I'm the podcast host listening in. And so the good news is that hopefully you were able to really get a good grasp of what apologetics is, the different perspectives, even amongst Christians, and the fact that, first of all, though, hey, this is not imperative. Imperative is that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. After that, we want to know the Word. We want to study the Word, and there's so much we can study. But one of the things that LD is telling us that we need to be prepared to share with others is what we believe in the word and how God is all powerful, all knowing, and he created our heavens and the earth and us. Amen. Leave us with your last little thoughts there, LD. No, I think you've summarized it quite well, Chuck, as you always do. Uh, you have a talent for that. So uh, I look forward to potentially uh, engaging on a little bit more uh, in the way of uh, some conversations about how you know, we can get in the details of how people can uh, think about science and their faith. Amen, brother. Well, this has been great stuff. And definitely as, uh, as you listen to this, would love for you to be studying a little bit about it, reading about it. Maybe you, some of you will be interested enough to go on and get you a book like Evidence That Demands a Verdict um, by Josh McDowell um, and be ready to share with us the next episode because there will be several with LD with us. I promise you, I can't wait to do one specifically on the human body. And of course, as a cardiac anesthesiologist, that's one that uh, he will have uh, very detailed knowledge of along with the studies that he's done. So this is great stuff. Feel free to share with us on our Facebook page, Grit to Greatness Facebook page. Questions you have, thoughts you have from this episode, would love to hear from you. And as always, Grit to Greatness listeners, Psalm 1914, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Until next time, Grit to Greatness listeners. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Grit to Greatness. We sure do appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get great updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review. We sure do appreciate it. Signing off from the Grit to Great podcast studio. We'll talk to you next time.